Welcome back, Psychonauts. I think I, I'm gonna make this a kind of a night broadcast, and uh, you know, change my voice a little bit, make it a little, a little more, uh, you know, after hours kind of sounding. Like you know, everyone's gone home, but I'm the last one at the office, and I'm, I don't know. I, my my son's sleeping right now, so that's why I was like gonna be all quiet about it and stuff. But I don't know. It's probably he he's gonna sleep right through it. So anyhow, let's get going. So we're going to be talking about thinking and problem solving. No, I'm not going to do that the whole time, but it could be fun. Anyhow, all right, let's get going here, gang. So first off, thinking. This is something that all of us have, dare I say, thought about. Get it, uh, thinking, th oh, whatever. So um, thinking, it's something we all know what it is, but it's tough to kind of put a definition to it. So here's your textbook definition for thinking. Changing and reorganizing the information stored in memory, that was our last unit by the way, to create new or transformed information. So we're going to be talking about a few different um, ways that we, we conduct our thinking. So we'll talk about some units of thought here. So, um, you know, the whole process of thought, it depends on um, several different like kind of devices or units. And the ones we're going to be talking about here right in the beginning are images, symbols, concept, prototypes, and ruels. So the first one, image. And that's just a visual or like mental representation of a specific like event or object. And this isn't like exactly like a one-to-one -one copy. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of what we, like the highlights of something, like what we like remember about the original. It's not gonna be 100%, but we got a pretty good idea. Um, you know, it's something we've been exposed to, something we can kind of recreate, a little bit more personalized. All right, so then you get to symbol, which is our next one. This can be a sound, an object, uh, a design, um, anything that represents an object or like a quality of something. Uh, and the like, the most common symbols are words. So, um, you know, like every word we have, we see and, and, and read or whatever, every word stands for something. Um, so, you know, uh, an image represents a specific sight or sound, but a symbol can, can be like a number, uh, the, sorry, a number of meanings, uh, but a number is a symbol too. So, looking ahead here, numerals, letters, punctuation marks, uh, icons, all these are, are symbols. They have no concrete existence, but they are, they are symbols for things. All right, and our next one here, concepts. Uh, so when a symbol is used as a label for a class of objects or events for that matter, uh, with at least one common attribute, uh, we call them the concept. So like animals, now, there's a lot of different animals, but just that name animals, which could be a symbol, it covers a whole bunch. Music, all right? We all know music, but there could be so many different types of music. So we could go with rap music, country music, blues, but then we could get even more specific um, and going through there. So uh, these are examples of concepts and they're based on these common attributes of the object and experience belonging to each category. Uh, so for instance, that concept of animal separates a group of organisms from such things as automobiles, carrots, even blue cheese, my favorite. And so concepts are, um, they, they like enable us to like chunk large amounts of information together. Like I said with animals, that's pretty darn broad. Um, and we do not have to treat every new piece of information as unique since we already kind of know something about that object or that class of object or experiences. Uh, and you know, so we know where the new item kind of belongs. All right, and keep narrowing things down. Uh, so we have prototype. 
This is an example that has a lot of the characteristics of a particular concept. So like if I say picture a vehicle, all right, your default image in your brain, that's your prototype. Now when we're putting all these things together and we're problem solving and everything and we're trying to you know, picture and think about stuff, rules help us a whole bunch. And this is like a statement um, that kind of examines the relation between different concepts. So, for instance, a person cannot be in two places at the same time. Mass remains constant despite changes in appearances. These rules help out tremendously when we're trying to do problem solving, which we're going to be talking about more throughout this, you know, throughout this unit kind of thing. All right, so let's talk about kinds of thinking further here. Reasoning. Now, there are two major, I guess, um, learning experiences um, that we, we, we use to get to a desired goal. We have our deductive reasoning or deduction, and we have inductive reasoning uh, or just induction. So deduction, uh, like deduction reasoning, is a top-down approach. Uh, we, we work from a very general to a very specific. So, for example, all mammals have DNA. Sheep are mammals. Therefore, sheep have DNA. Wow. Yeah, I know. All right, so our inductive reasoning. This is the bottom-up approach, and this is going from the very specific to much broader generalization. So, for instance, sheep are mammals, and they have DNA. Pigs are mammals, and they have DNA. Horses are mammals, and they have DNA. Therefore, all mammals have DNA. So if, if you're really good at this inductive reasoning or just in general, um, it will hopefully lead you to a conclusion, um, but sometimes it leads to more investigation. So um, watch some Sherlock Holmes sometime when you get a chance. Uh, the BBC version, fantastic. That's my little plug there. Um, anyhow, next up, directed thinking. All right, this is our systematic logical uh, attempt to reach a specific goal or answer. Uh, this is it looks, works a lot with like math problems. Uh, it depends on symbols, concepts, rules. You solve problems uh, and formulate and follow these different rules as you go through it. Um, and you know this all works towards achieving goals, kind of thing. And I, I liken it to the scientific method. Although you're going to hear me talk about the scientific method throughout this podcast, so just a heads up. All right, so we had directed thinking. Now we have undirected or non-directed thinking. And this is that free flow of thoughts, man. No particular plan. It tends depends more on images. You know, just this rich imagery and feelings, man. You know, daydreams, these fantasies. You know, it's epiphanies, which we're going to talk about epiphanies later on. That was my hippie moment, y'all. All right. So that's our undirected thinking. Let's talk about realistic thinking. This is how the real world works. And this is thinking concerned with the outside world, with the world around us. And this allows people to distinguish dis distinct objects or pieces of information. And this is uh, kind of the, um, you know, this outcome, this judgment and so forth with all the processes called our decision making. And Anytime you're trying to figure stuff out and you kind of look, it's like, okay, if I make this decision, how is it going to impact those around me? All right, realistic thinking. You're thinking of the real world around you. Now, as you're examining um, your thought process and you're kind of thinking about your thinking, we call this metacognition, thinking about thinking 
Sorry, I was channeling my Keanu Reeves from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But so, you know, metacognition is the ability to control our cognitive process. So when we use this metacognition, we are thinking about the accuracy of our thoughts, our decisions, our judgments. You know, we're, we're just, you know, we're, we're analyzing our decisions and how we got there and the strategies we used to got there, we to get there, sorry, got there, get there. Um, but anyhow, all this is our metacognition. And we do this by, we monitor our understanding and measure our progress towards completion of these different tasks and stuff. This is a huge part of our successful learning because we're not only doing stuff and thinking about doing stuff, but then we're analyzing why we did it kind of thing. All right, so moving on to some problem solving. All right, so there are two major types of uh, problem solving. We're going to look at divergent thinking when it comes to problem solving and convergent thinking. So divergent thinking, I think of that as a road that is diverging or going in different directions. So the idea of divergent thinking is trying to come up with a variety of possible alternative solutions to a problem. And this is just basically creative thinking. Uh, a lot of flexibility, inventiveness. Usually when you think of uh, this, uh, essay questions are great examples of this when you think of back to school. All right, convergent, once again, divergent, we talked about roads diverging, convergent, they are converging, they are coming together. And so this is trying to narrow down many possibilities to find the one uh, best answer to the problem. This is kind of like multiple choice, there is only one answer. Now, normally in this decision-making process that we've been talking about here, um, you know, it's, it's very automatic. We aren't even really aware that this is going on. Now, we do become more aware of it when there starts to be unforeseen outcomes or repercussions uh, for our decision making. Now, like I said, most of this we don't even think of, we're not even aware of. A lot of this has to do with our gut decision, and this is a intuition decision. Uh, and this can be influenced by our emotions, memories, biases, those kind of things. Now, Sometimes people have trouble making decisions, and there are some obstacles. So I'm going to talk about a couple of those for you guys. So procrastinators, all right, these are the people that put things off and don't want to do things. So helping out to overcome procrastination, other obstacles, but just procrastination right here, right now, is try setting deadlines for yourself. Sometimes this helps people creating lists, prioritizing lists, uh, coming up with pros and cons, um, just you know, helping people to organize their available options. Now, next up, you have what-if scenarios. Now, um, these are like a, an impact analysis. Um, so we kind of, we look around and we try to identify unexpected consequences of a decision. A lot of, um, have you ever seen a decision tree? Sometimes they have these online that's like, what movie should I watch tonight? Are you in the movie mood for an action movie or a drama? And then you like, you go to that one, it's like, oh, you've picked um, drama. All right, do you like these types of, you know, like, do you like, uh, you know, dramas that have um, mystery involved with them or dramas that have you know crime uh, involved with them something like that I don't know so and you have these different kind of decisions that you make these what-if scenarios and this helps us to kind of figure out everything so a decision tree uh, is, is very concrete but it's just these what-if scenarios but anyhow definition of decision tree a diagram showing various outcomes for all those actions and factors uh, it's just supposed to be helping out uh, with decisions as far as like many different stages or alternatives. Chess players do this all the time. Like, well, if I go here, this is what he's going to do. And if he goes here, then I'm going to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And then you map it all out. Now, this is trying to help us to make decisions, but sometimes people avoid making decisions. They can do this for a few different reasons. Um, we already kind of talked about the procrastination here, but a little bit more for you guys. 
People may fear failure. Um, they may not completely understand the choices that need to be made, and sometimes they worry that they might make the wrong one and the wrong approach to thinking. There's that kind of fear of failure kind of leading into that one. So when we actually do solve a problem, and we've kind of gotten past some of these things that uh, keep us from making uh, decisions, uh, usually we see uh, four steps in problem-solving strategies. First, step one, define the problem. Makes sense. Step two, come up with alternatives or possible solutions to the problem. One way, brainstorming. Just throwing out all kinds of ideas, see what comes to mind, no matter how ridiculous it may seem. All right, step three, evaluate the alternatives and select the best one. And finally, step four, put that solution of the uh, to the problem into action. All right, once again, this sounds an awful lot like scientific method stuff. Um, but anyhow, as you are solving these problems and stuff, sometimes we find that it is uh, the problems are just too big. We need to kind of break them down to make them more manageable, and we break them down into sub-goals. And these are intermediate steps to solve um, a problem and get to the solution we need to kind of thing. So um, another way is uh, I like, I actually really like this one, backwards problem solving. Um, so you look at the goal and then you work backwards from it um, to figure out how to get there. Uh, mystery writers do this a lot. Um, so if you, if you have a, someone who writes a book about, you know, it's like, all right, they write the ending first and like, all right, now we got to figure out how we're going to get there. Um, Breaking Bad did this uh, and in season four, I think it was the final episode, they showed something, and like the writers were like, "Yeah, we had we did that, and we really didn't know how we were going to get there." Which uh, one of my favorite shows? Uh, very interesting, you know, kind of the writing behind that, how they did it. They did an amazing job. So, anyhow, moving on here. So sometimes when we're trying to figure out all these problems, um, it's tough to figure out what strategy to use best. We just went over a few here on how to get through different problems and so forth, but you know, what is the best way to do things? So most of us analyze the problem to see if it resembles something we've seen before. This helps out a lot because we've, we've, we've solved stuff in the past. Well, if this looks just like it, well, shoot, we'll just do the same thing. So strategy work then, we'll work again. All right. And we just kind of get stuck in these ruts of like, oh, well, that's how I do it, so I won't, I'll do it all the time. And it's it's difficult uh, for us to kind of come up with new strategies or do new strategies because we like tried and true. Um, the trouble is the more unusual the problem, the more difficult it is to devise a strategy for dealing with it because it doesn't fit what we've had before. Now, two ways that we approach um, some of these problems I'm gonna talk about here real briefly are Algorithm and heuristics. Heuristics, I hope I pronounced that right. But an algorithm, this is a fixed set of procedures that we follow. If we follow them uh, correctly, we will lead and find a solution. This is kind of our scientific method we talked about. But I think of algorithm like math problems or uh, like you know computer uh, code and language and stuff. Now, heuristics. This is experimental strategies, or maybe rules of thumb uh, that simplify a problem to one that we can hopefully solve quickly and easily. Um, so, for instance, when you're watching a Wheel of Fortune, uh, you might use what you already know about prefixes, suffixes, and roots to words to fill in the missing letters, words, phrases, and so forth. Um, if a friend comes over to you with a problem, your advice might include what has worked for you in the past. Now, when we do this heuristics one, 
Um, when we make decisions using these shortcuts, we sometimes ignore pertinent information that makes them maybe different from past situations we've gone through and then we might give wrong uh, solutions to. So I wanna kind of break these heuristics down into three uh, kind of subgroups here. So availability heuristics, representative heuristics, and anchoring heuristics. So let's talk about availability. So this is where we rely on information that is more prominent or easily recalled and overlook information that is available but not as kind of forefront in our brain. So for instance, in the news, people win the lottery all the time. So we might overestimate our chances because we only hear about the ones that are people winning and maybe we ignore the ones about people losing. All right, representativeness heuristics. This is where we tend to assume that if an item is similar to members of a particular category, it is, it is a, uh, I'm sorry, it is probably a member of that category too. So for instance, if a person flips a coin 10 times and it has landed on tails every time, the, the odds are that it will land on heads this time. All right, that's, that's the way our brain thinks, but I mean, we all know that, yeah, okay, it's gone 10 times to tails, but still, it still is 50-50 that it could land on tails or heads. And finally, this anchoring heuristic. We make decisions based on certain ideas or standards that are important to us. Uh, we kind of put this mental anchor, if you will, on this piece of information, which is just like our starting point. Uh, we then adjust away from that anchor until we reach a decision that seems acceptable to us. But we have to meet this anchor. We have to meet this one little requirement. So for instance, if you're selling your house and you don't want to sell it less than $200,000, another couple wants to purchase the house but will not pay more than $210,000. The final sale of the house is negotiated and it's going to be at that $205,000, which satisfies both buyers and sellers because both of them were anchored in their way of thinking. And speaking of getting stuck in your way of thinking, let's talk about mental set. And this is when our strategies become habit. You, um, you treat every problem in a certain way. Like if you ever played tic-tac-toe, most people have one certain way that they do things. Different sports, some people just, they're a one-trick pony. That's all they do. They just do this one thing really good. And that can work for them. So that's our mental set. And we get into this idea of functional fixedness uh, because we are so stuck there, we have an inability to imagine new uses for, for instance, familiar objects. So when we try to solve the problem with familiar objects, we tend to stick to what we already know and we can't open our brain up to new possibilities. So um, when we make these wrong assumptions about a problem, we have trouble viewing problems um, from an outside uh, like realm or understanding because we are just so kind of closed off and stuck there in that one way of thinking. And sometimes what happens is we, uh, remember we talked about sub-goals earlier, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on that from earlier, but just we get stuck in this route, and sometimes we're, we're stuck because we think, oh, I have to, you know, like, for instance, I have to play basketball okay, uh, so I just I just go out and play basketball. It uh, doesn't work like that because we fail to realize that sometimes there are some intermediate steps to getting to this final problem that we're trying to solve. So sometimes we just approach it wrong. We just go right to the end. It's like, no, 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 you got to start a little bit in between. So for instance, my basketball analogy, I can't just go out and play basketball. All right, that's not going to work. I got to work on shooting, passing, dribbling, uh, different plays, and so forth. So 
and, and this uh, we're gonna we're we're slowly kind of getting here to the end. So just to kind of finish up a little bit here, we're gonna get into some creative thinking. And you're, we've been talking about this throughout, but just hopefully this sums it up a little bit more. But the the definition of creative thinking is the ability to use information in such a way that the result is somehow new, original, or meaningful, or and meaningful, I guess I should say. Uh, but yeah, creative thinking, um, it, it's kind of a process that has several steps and phases. So phase one, preparation. This is the gathering of information that is going to help you out. Phase two, incubation. This is defining the problem and the processing of information. Uh, and this could be consciously or unconsciously uh, as we seek this solution. Then you get to phase three where all the things just kind of fall into place. And this is called illumination. And once these pieces have all fallen into place, uh, we, we pretty much have our answer. We, we, we have gotten to where we need to be. But phase four is verification. This is that kind of almost that metacognition area where we evaluate the results. We make any necessary adjustments to it, but we pretty much are there. All right. And our last little bits that we're going to be talking about here is recombination. So we get all this information and we have um, the, the information's already out there. But our brain is, you know, this is part of, you know, critical, uh, so creative thinking is we're taking information that's already out there, but we're rearranging it. And, and it's going to be more meaningful or it could be different. Even though the information is already there, we're putting it into something that we can understand more, that we can work with other people on more. So, for instance, um, I, I love this, uh, these kind of quotes here. So, uh, here's one for you that I don't have a who said it, but I have the next one I do. Now, there are no new moves, only recombinations of old ones. So um, I think of it as like music notes. There's all the music notes are already out there. It's not like people are inventing new music notes, but reorganizing them is where music is born. Um, and our next one here, a little quote, um, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And that was Sir Isaac Newton. All right. And my last one for you guys is, and this kind of builds on the recombination of elements, and that is insight. The sudden emergence of a solution by the recombination of these elements. That information is out there, and then all of a sudden our brain just organizes them, and then, aha, I have it. And that aha moment is called an epiphany. But anyhow, we'll I'll reference that again here in just a second. But insight usually occurs when problems have proved to be resistant to all other problem-solving efforts and strategies. And you, you reach this point of very high frustration and maybe you abandon the task, but this recombination process seems to be working on at an unconscious level in the back of our brain and all of a sudden it just, it reorganizes and boom, it's there, aha, I got it, and that's our epiphany. So um, anyhow, that is our thinking and problem solving unit. So, um, I ran a little bit over my 20 minute mark on that one, but not too much. Didn't want to break it up into a second one. So hope you guys enjoyed and I will look forward to talking to you guys again um, about some motivation and emotions in our next one. So have a wonderful day. Hope to see you soon or hear from you soon or you hear from me soon. Whatever. Talk to you then.